hi kalyani it's nice to see you and uh, connect with you today uh, you've had a very long journey and your career has spanned a few decades with all your experience uh, i'm sure we're going to have a very interesting conversation tell us about your career and the path that you have taken uh, firstly hello satinder and thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to speak and i hope that uh, the people listening to the podcasts will actually and even watch it uh, that they would get some benefit out of it so talking about careers uh, i've been through many different ones and all um, most of it out of choice um, and i think that when i started off after university i had qualified as an attorney and i started with private practice uh in one of the other provinces the KwaZulu Natal province and uh i practiced there as an attorney my children were very small at that time and oh, i even wrote my conveyancing exam and became a conveyancer and i was in practice there for about 7 and a half years and then this new south africa the new democratic south africa was now in place and that was in 95 uh, 94 So in 95 we were now feeling brave enough and we wouldn't didn't mind working for the government because it was a now a democratic government. And so I applied for a position as the state attorney's office in Johannesburg. So it was a move of a province as well. And uh, I actually got I applied for the deputy position and the state attorney so the head of the office and I got the state attorney position. so that uh, that in that role i we were the government's attorneys so johannesburg was fairly big and the big cases were all there so it was a really great time and it was also about transformation because it was the new south africa and predominantly it was a white the white community that occupied most of the roles uh, or especially mm-hmm. the senior ones and uh, so it was a challenge for me to turn around that office and uh, without being sounding conceited i actually was uh, when i got there there was no black attorneys at all there was one indian and one what we call in south africa colored attorney but both of them left before i started because i was their <laughs> junior i was their junior in bath in uni- at okay. university so they didn't want to work where i was the <laughs> boss so anyway so i had a whole office full of white attorneys we are 45 attorneys and uh, by the time i left which was about 7 and a half almost 8 years later i left the office with 55% black attorneys uh you know black being indian colored african so uh yeah so that was great it felt nice to have achieved something and then i moved on from there and i strangely enough i gave up law so my dad was a bit upset oh. and he was saying how can you give up being a lawyer and i said you know you'll I'll always be a lawyer you know i'm still got all the qualification and experience but uh what had happened was it was close to the y2k issues you know on it and everybody was worried yeah. about what was going to happen mm. so the department of justice where the state attorney fell under they decided that um we must rewrite the financial systems for the state attorney's office because we held a lot of money in trust and all of that so um i applied for that position i had felt like i had done what i needed to do in the state attorneys and now i wanted a challenge 
And so because I was heading up the project for the Y2K for the state attorneys, the bug of IT bit. <laughs> so I, I was now interested <laughs> in the IT side of it, but obviously not from a technical side. You know, it was more from a business side because I don't know yeah. code and all of that. So anyway, I, uh, I must say I was only there for two and a half years, but it was an amazing experience. And, and your viewers and listeners may find this quite funny, but being a lawyer, I didn't know the technical uh, phrases and words in the IT yeah. environment. So one day I was the jargon. In, yes. So one day I was in a meeting. Yeah, I was sitting in a meeting, and my staff were there, and another division staff were there. Yeah. So so when I left the state attorney's office, I uh, had run a project for for the Department of Justice on the IT side for the Y two K issues which we thought would come up, but anyway, it didn't. I know it never and then, came. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but anyway, it was a good opportunity because we rewrote the financial systems. And uh, with the state attorney holding uh, government's monies in trust or even the person on the other side, their monies in trust, it was important for us to have good systems. Anyway, so what happened was this shift from being an attorney to the IT side became so exciting. And uh, I wanted to, I felt like that's where my the challenge would be and I would get some benefit out of it. Uh, it's always important to learn new things, you know, when you go to different jobs. It becomes too mundane and boring if you do the same things all the time. So I applied for this position as the head general manager for the systems management and optimization. And my role there would be in terms of the business side, to look at everybody in the Department of Justice, make sure that everybody had emails, uh, email address, and you know that kind of thing. So creating that whole uh, network. But uh, it was the technical people that dealt with the actual work. Ours was just to do the client relationship with all the different divisions in justice. So it was important we were the client-facing people there. And then when that uh, it was it was really an exciting time, and I was saying that, you know, um, I remember because it was a new area for me. They used to use words like dongle, and I used to wonder what is a dongle. And I thought, oh my god, I'm never going to learn about this until I came out of the meeting and I called one of my staff and I said, what is this dongle? And then when she explained, I realized how silly it was. You know, it was not anything complicated. Yeah. But anyway, it was. Uh, I was only there for two and a half years, and it was a great experience. I got to go to the government leaders conference in Seattle um, and at Microsoft's uh, campus, and it was a great learning experience as well. And, you know, a lot of the things that I saw, that was in the early 2000s. Uh, you know, they talk about, in there, they showed you a prototype of how children would uh, roller skate to school and with their laptops in their bags and how you would find that the laptop would just switch off. In other words, it, takes, it denies them access to any games and all of that the minute they enter the parameter of the school. And then when they get into the class, okay. it was only schoolwork that was on the screen. Yeah. And I mean, now it's like normal, you know, but at that time it was, gosh, yeah, it yeah. ever happened. You know? so, oh, yes. Yeah. So it was exciting times, yeah. And then even got to go to San Francisco to the Oracle offices and, you know, it was exciting times. Uh, 
And then uh, yes. when uh, I was then headhunted by the Director General of Justice to assist him with a, a project where women collect their maintenance from their husbands or their partners for their children, you know, so it's maintenance, they, could, they go and collect it. So uh, that system, everything was really uh, in a bad state and the department was getting such a lot of bad uh, publicity. So the director general asked me to go and help him for four or three months and to fix that court. So I went there and I did it. I took four months, uh, one month more with no budget. We painted uh, shelves and we pulled out carpets and we just made it look presentable <laughs> because it's so sad that people who have no money, they're coming there and they sit. And what was important that I picked up, I, I have to tell you that when I went in the first time, they didn't know me. So I went under a sort of disguise. I went in on a Friday afternoon when it's very busy and I sat as if mm. I was one of the claimants. And I got a, the experience of what was happening. And it was young people behind the counter who showed no respect for the people who were waiting for this money. And I realized then that if you want to be customer facing, you have to have the skills to deal with it. You know, you can't just say to the person who's been waiting the whole day, just go and stand in the corner. And, you know, you can't talk to people like that. So it was, it was, there was no water for anybody. There was no, no toilets nearby. So it was a, a difficult time. So, you know, it was a challenge for me to get all of that sorted out. And then the director general then, because I helped him out in this project, he didn't want me to go back to the IT division. He wanted me to become his advisor. So I only wow. had that role for six months because in that six oh. months where I was advisor to him, Everything that would go to him came to me, you know, so it was that it was really nice. And uh, then he um, then he he, uh, he got appointed by the president of the country as the head of the NPA. And I was in India at the time. I was on holiday in India and I came back and he told me that this is what's happened. The president's point appointed him as the head of the National Prosecuting Authority. And uh, and he said that he told the president that he wants his advisor to go with him, and the president agreed. And so by oh. proclamation, <laughs> all that was done, and I moved with him. And it was probably one of the most exciting times again. And I always think that, you know, in South Africa, we always feel like we mustn't work for government and that kind of thing. But it was the greatest lessons that I learned working for government, all the protocols, all the different policies, uh, how you interact with people that have complaints because everybody wants their case to go to court and, you know, it's all that kind of thing. So it was dealing with all those uh, complaints and trying to appease people and try to do the right thing. Um, so I used to get up at four o'clock in the morning and I used to drive to Pretoria every day. It's an hour. I used to be in my office by six. And uh, it was it was it was because we owe it to the people because as as working for the government, we're using taxpayers money. And I felt like it was really important that we deliver that service. You know, we were using people's money to run our our departments. So it was, we were very, very um, focused on that. You know, we'd get up early, start work early, make sure we respond. We had a 24 hour turnaround. 
which was magnificent and you don't get that anymore. So, you know, it was it was enjoyable. And when you enjoy and you have passion for what you do, it's easy. It comes easily. So yeah. um, so it was it was a very exciting time. And the head of the police in the country, the head, was char- we were investigating him and he was charged. And it became very involved in politics. And my uh, uh, boss, who was the head of the organization, was suspended uh, for no reason at all. And he, he, uh, a year or so later, he was cleared. Um, and But when that happened, I refused to work for government. I felt like it was not the right thing to do. I didn't want to be a part of anything that I felt was not uh, how it should be. So without having a job, <laughs> and I always say that he likes me upstairs, <laughs> that I, I handed in my resignation. And in the two weeks that I took leave before my, resigna- my period of resignation could start, I, in that time, saw this job with the banks. Oh. And I didn't even know which company, the name of the company, because the, the recruitment agency didn't disclose that. And it was actually the job with Sabric, which is the South African Banking Risk Information Center. And uh, like I say, God willing, I got that job. I finished on a Friday in the NPA, and I started the job on Monday. I begged them to give me two months leave. And they said, no, we need you now. You know, they, the CEO was leaving and they wanted to hand over. So Kalyani, just, uh, you know, I'm just recapping your entire uh, career in a way. Yeah. You started with law and yeah. then business technology. Yes. And uh, then, yes. of course, uh, partly, you know, you were in departments which were serving citizens of the country. And then yes. you moved to the bank. So. Uh, you know, yes. I mean, uh, so how does this whole thing tie up together? And before we, you know, we start talking about the banks, how does yes. this whole thing tie up? Yeah, together? So I, think it, I think it's very much an issue around leadership. So, you know, I, I have always felt comfortable from the age of 32, I was running a company, you know, so, or running an, a department. So I had become used to what was required and it came to me almost naturally. Mm-hmm. So I had no problem with dealing with conflict. I had no problem with dealing with uh, great uh, innovative projects and like, getting the staff to feel that they own it and that it was through them. You know, you don't steal other people's uh, glory in all of that. So I think I enjoyed that. And it was more the leadership thing which and, and having the, the legal and a little bit of the, of the information technology side actually put me in a great position to... Uh, accept and to run the the organization for the banks. So, you know, it, it was different, but like I've always done in any job that I've gone into, I always started from the bottom of interacting with staff and going up the ranks just to know what people do and hear for myself what it is before I decide that I want to change the strategy or do something different. You know, so yeah, I enjoyed being with people. It's uh, it was always for me the thing that I liked. I don't think I could sit in an office by myself all day and not move. And currently, my situation is that I am in that position of where I'm sort of on my own. And I used to because it was so busy with the banks, um, and we can talk more about that just now. 
Um, yeah. I used to wait to have some time off. I used to wait to, I used to keep saying when people interviewed me, I would say, they say, what would you like to do? And I used to say, I want to be a housewife. I've never been a housewife. I had two <laughs> children in between my degrees and I never stayed at home. Yes. And I said, uh, I'd like to be a housewife. I'd like to get up one morning and say, oh gosh, I have nothing to do today. Yeah. And now I'm in that position and I don't like it at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's actually nice what happened? Yeah, so what happens is that, you know, once you're on the treadmill, it's like that and you want to run and run and you yes. And it uh, yes. becomes very enjoyable when you, you know, uh, when you have passion and you're, you know, you're really liking what you're doing. That's yes. important. But what I yes. also hear you say is apart from, you know, what I saw is that you took these risks of jumps from one to the other. The other thing also what I'm uh, seeing is that, uh, you know, it's it's important to be this hands-on uh, person. As in, you know, you, you really need to understand the person part of it before you, uh, you know, yes. take decisions and implement them across. Yeah, yeah, it's very important. Yes, it's very important because it gives your staff confidence as well. Like when I started work at, with the banks, uh, I would have my secretary come in and say to me, I've just ordered you lunch and I didn't even ask for anything and uh, and the coffee. And I said, you know, I don't normally eat too much during the day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they felt offended because um, – they felt like I wasn't happy with them and I didn't want them to serve me tea. But I, the reason why I used to get up and go to the kitchen myself, I was the CEO. But the reason why I went into the kitchen myself to make my tea was because I had an opportunity to talk on an informal basis with my team. Yes. You know, so you, you meet them. When you're sitting in a meeting, people's whole disposition is different. Yeah. But when you're standing in the kitchen, both doing things and mixing and pouring water and that, you on a different level and it enabled me to connect and I think the previous heads uh, by the way were all male and uh, I was the first female and in South Africa we considered generically black and um, so it was the first ever in the country so they were not used to it and they uh, they were surprised that it was easy to get yeah. going with it, you know. Informal. So, uh, yeah. It's an informal setting. It's yeah. not like, you know, you're sitting yes. across the desk yeah. and then everything changes and you become, you know, yeah. you put forth your best yeah. uh, uh, when you're in uh, a senior's office in that sense. Yeah. Tell us something uh, more about, you know, what is the work that you did in the banks? And of course, later yeah. uh, you can also tell us about uh, IPSA and that's how, you know, we connected. So, you know, how did this uh, yeah. whole thing come about? Yeah. So, so what had happened was uh, more than, uh, I think, more than tw about 20 years ago, uh, the South African banks, the four majors at that time, now they're six majors. So the four major banks in South Africa, which was APSA, First National Bank, Standard Bank, uh, and Nedbank, these four banks got together because at that particular time when they decided to make this decision to form this company, bank robberies were absolutely rife in South Africa. It was uh, uh, like two or three bank robberies a week that oh, was happening. Oh, that's, that's quite and a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It, yeah. was, it was really a really frightening situation. I wasn't there at the time. When I joined, they were just under five years old. Um, and so they, the banks decided that instead of each of the banks 
having resources that the bank is paying for those resources to do the same thing that the other banks are also doing because mm-hmm. it was it was bank robberies the criminals they don't have worry about the brand oh no they don't care which bank it is wherever there's opportunity they will go so i think the banks in, in here in south africa were actually quite smart to recognize that and they said instead of each of us having our own resources let's have one organization yeah. where we will fund it and we'll put resources in and there's no competition in fighting crime yeah so you know it's wasn't dealing with business issues so we'll put them together and we'll let them interact with the police so basically what that's how it started very small they seconded people to the organization mm-hmm. but eventually it used to sit with the banking association and then eventually it started to become so big oh well, the the needs became more yeah. so they realized that they have to change it into its own to a company and um, and so it was a private company and then government now puts their uh, back against the wall when it's private company because you feel like no i am i colluding with the private sector yeah. that kind yeah, of thing yeah. so the banks they changed it into a non-profit organization and um, and their their key uh, functions were to uh, for bank officials to liaise with the police department mm-hmm. um so that they could give them information help them to understand how atm works or how anything works and with this day in this day and age with cyber crime all the different things so that was one role the other role was to uh, all the data that came from all those banks um they would be collected at sabric and sabric would then analyze all of that and would then give back reports to the banks to show where the risk areas were and what needed to be dealt with and the possible solutions to those things. that's very interesting so, because see this uh, you know um the collective effort as they say fraud like how i uh, i would yeah. look at it is a fraud is the other side of customer service so if yes, your customer yes. has to face a fraud of is defrauded of something it's a disservice the responsibility does yeah. lie with the bank to make sure that the customer is protected yes, that's yes. how it should be taken yes, yes. even though the customer has yes. his own uh, you know some responsibilities but eventually it's a loss yes. and the yes. bank who loses unhappy customer what i'm also hearing you say is coming together of the banks other yes. is that we uh, you are talking about uh, physical robbery now we are moving yes. to a uh, data yes so, yes cyber crime so so yes. how is that yes. transition because you know of course now with social yes. media with internet technology yes. and you know, the yes. new kind of frauds that are happening absolutely yeah so so what happened was uh, while while we started with four banks when i got into sabric we started bringing on more banks so we brought on by the time i left i think we had 18 or 19 banks uh, that were part of this group and, uh, and and yes you're right from cyber crime i mean from physical crime like bank robberies things started to move banks started coming out with cards so you didn't have to stand in a queue in a bank you had cards you could buy and pay and do all of that and then beyond that you you now have digital cards and you have um, you can tap and go you know that yeah, kind of thing yeah. and the, the public from the public's perspective and the experience that i had of that was that the public were extremely nervous 
they were nervous, they were frightened that, you know, there were stories going around that if you have a bank card in your back pocket and you're going up a stair, somebody, somebody would hold a POS <laughs> device. And, but who would do that? I mean, people would see. So I think somebody was just making the point that this is what can happen. And uh, so, so the thing is that the banks decided, well, whenever there was a new modus operandi, whether it was cybercrime or whether it was physical, whether it was a theft at an ATM or card swapping at an ATM, uh, and then things like what they call shoulder sur surfing, yeah. when the person behind you stands too close so they could watch your yeah. PIN number yeah. um, and they jam the ATMs and that kind of thing. So all of that, we realized at the end of the day, the customers are not getting that side of it quick enough to be a prevention that they can help uh, prevent becoming a victim to any bank-related crimes. So we, we then ramped up our communications, which was really important. So we, we started writing in very simple terms, you know, not mm -hmm. using any hyperluted language or anything. We wanted everybody to understand. And then in South Africa, because we have 11 official languages, we also chose like about four or five of the more common uh, uh, languages. And, yeah. and of course, English and Afrikaans as well. So mm -hmm. we used to do communication in that. So how we used to do this, we used to do billboards. We used to do uh, community radio stations because you can't reach everybody. Everyone doesn't come to the city. So we did community radio stations. We would pick a topic. If we say we're talking about card skimming, we would explain what is card skimming and how people can protect themselves and how they must always cover the keypad so that their number is not being viewed by anybody because often people would put hidden cameras onto the ATM and then when you yeah, were yeah. sliding it in, um, they would yeah. be able to pick up, you know, your password and then the card gets stolen because somebody is waiting to steal it, you know, all that kind of thing. So we would, we eventually started doing videos uh, where we would show the public how these things were done because we used actual incidents where people in the bank's cameras caught all of these things and, and how we showed people how it's done because they would never believe that somebody can take the card out of their hand and they not know it. But we showed people how criminals do that, you know. So it was it was really, it became quite powerful. Now what I'm hearing you say is that this, first of all, this coming together of banks, because, I mean, there's no competition in fraud. I mean, there can be competition in everything. Yes, yes, there's yes. no competition in fraud. Yes, yes. And uh, I think one of the yes. great initiatives is this banks coming together because then, you know, you are yes. you are able to uh, create so much of awareness. Yes, and also protecting your systems. You yes. know, you could collectively talk about how you're going to be, you know, blocking your own systems and, and how you do it. And if a bank was had a, a problem then uh, the other banks would learn from it. They, it, it. I must say that while it's not an easy thing to get right, because <laughs> even though you say there's no competition in fighting crime, there's always some level of competition. Yeah. So, but, you know, we. I think we got it right uh, yeah. because people began to realize that they have to share their data 
because there will be a time when your bank is going to be uh, the, the victim. It's like who will speak uh, or for your you. bank. If you don't speak yes, for yes. others, who will speak for you? Yes. Yeah. So that's why you, you know that there's a time will come when you have to rely on another bank to help you or the collective banks to help you. So, you know, through that uh, and the successes, people bought into it. And then, uh, so then we used to do television. I used to do once a week uh, on a on television um, where the interviewer would ask me about, we used to identify the crime types and then we would talk about it. And then in between, we'd show a video if we had it. And it became quite popular because people like to see. They don't like to always read. read. So when they hear, they hear and they see the videos, they get a better sense of what's happening. And that became quite a lot. And then we, we, we did lots of social media. So we put things on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter and even on LinkedIn. So we used to have our designers, which we outsourced to the people who do all the digital art and all of that. So, yeah, it became interesting. You have to. The one thing that's important, you can't do the same thing all the time. You can't just do text because people get bored yes. and they don't want yes. to read. And it's also so it's important. Yeah, it's, it's also important. One is to give the message. The message is a very important thing, you know. And I think yes. also yes. that when you're yes. doing it collectively, when the entire banking system or the entire financial system is doing it yes. collectively, the expanse is yes. Yes. huge. So now what about the other side? Yes. One is about educating the customer, making them aware yes. of various yes. things. Yeah. And then uh, was there some yeah. kind of work around uh, managing complaints or some kind of, you know, uh, system built well, around so, that? Yeah. So uh, Sabric didn't deal with the public directly. Okay. We, we dealt with them by communicating, but we never dealt with them in terms of complaints because each bank has their own division okay. that deals with complaints. And then you have the banking ombudsman who oversees that work. Yeah. So ours was more more voluntary work. There was nothing where we were bound by regulation. It was just, it worked well and it was uh, economies of scale. Yes. Because if you were paying uh, $10,000 uh, a month for 10 staff or whatever, or 20 staff, here you would pay a portion of that and because everyone is sharing yes. you know, the cost of running the organization. So it was for me, I got lots of uh, value out of it. I felt so proud that we could be teaching people. I'd have people call the office, although we never had a, a complaints desk, yeah. but we never turned away anybody. So you just, know, people uh, would call and say. I'm just trying to relate those two, three things. So one is yes. that uh, yes. you have a legal background. So you're a lawyer, yes. you know, it's in the blood, even if you're not practicing. Yes. Yes. You did technology, I mean, business technology, yes. and you did it at yes. very crucial times, you know, when we are saying Y2K or, you know, when you're actually yes. converting yes. some department yes. into technology. Yes. I'm sure these two had, uh, you know, uh, a good role Absolutely. in what you did at Sabric. Absolutely, because my interaction with government leaders when I was in the in the Department of Justice, I used to interact with ministers of different departments. Being in the state attorney's office, you are the minister's lawyer. You know, that office represents ministers. So I had the opportunity. I mean, I never used to go to court because I had all the attorneys go. My role was different. 
And so I became quite familiar and used to government protocol and interacting with ministers. I used to meet with them quite often. I used to go to parliament, uh, portfolio committee and all of that. Whereas now with SAPRIC, although we we not part of government, but government, we, we forged relationships yeah. with ministers yeah. In the, in the justice department, in the finance department, uh, in communications, in home affairs. And that's an important thing I wanted to tell you also about the home affairs project. So that's the okay. government uh, uh, people registration, you know, where you do ID num- identity numbers and all of that. So what we did was we, inter- we, we uh, approached the Department of Home Affairs and we asked them, if, because of identity theft being such a big problem, and the Department of Home Affairs was now gone electronic on everything, we asked them if from a bank perspective, people are coming in, we told them people are coming in with false IDs, they change the photograph and all of that, yeah. and they open bank accounts, mm. and then they borrow and do all kinds of things, yeah. and then and they then disappear. you can't find them. Yeah. So, yeah, so from a crime prevention point of view, we approached the Home Affairs and we asked them if they will give us access to their database. And they did. We convinced them that we weren't going to do anything funny with it. The data protection was there. And uh, the banks, when people went into a bank, they were asked to consent to their biometrics being taken. Mm. And then it will go straight into Home Affairs. And we had a very short response, like two or four seconds, that you'd get a yes, it is that person, or no, it's not. We have the Aadhaar uh, as a system in India. Yes. Aadhaar, it works on similar lines. So where the biometric can be, you know, it's a messaging basically. Yes. You don't get access to the yes. data, but yes. uh, you can yes. uh, con- you can yes. validate the... Yeah. So that was just one example of what value Sabrik was able to bring to the banks. And then there's always the, re- the reciprocal side. So if, the, if they do something for you, yes. you have to do something for them. So what we did was, because there's always long queues everywhere, we our banks offered their branches um, to be available for people to apply for their passports and their identity documents. Okay. So the Home Affairs Department used to have a staff sit in the bank, but what it did was it broadened the footprint of where people could go to. Made it easy that, for you know? So Yeah, yeah. Yes, but it's it's reciprocal. So you at least you do for me, and I help you, and that kind of. You have to have somebody who's willing to take the chance within strict measures. We have contracts in place and that kind of thing. So if you don't try, you're never <laughs> going to be. I mean, and you know, in India, you guys are so innovative uh, and always come out with things that the rest of the world follows. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really important. So now just tell me, one is that this is, uh, you know, bringing together people, uh, you know, the various units or the financial units in South Africa. Yes. And uh, yeah. now we also have associations at the international level. So if you see, uh, see this yes. Um, yes. International Banking Security Association, yes. So that's at the international level. So how does information exchange, like this basic data and best practices, is there some kind of an arrangement for that? No, the problem there is that a lot of countries have regulations in place that don't allow them to share uh, certain information. Also, you have to worry about tipping off. 
So you can't get involved where you're tipping off a bank and that kind of thing, even here in South Africa. So I I think that the important thing was that it was voluntary in terms of us sharing trends. So while we didn't collect actual stats from each bank that participated in IPSA, but we collected trends. So you'd find like if we were having uh, cash and transit heists in South Africa, we also had them as part of our organization. Um, we would be able to share the modus operandi, what kind of explosives are being used. We would be able to compare it with what was happening in Europe. Um, and and also it gave you the opportunity that if a bank in, in one country was starting to see something that the others didn't, it, it, it alerted you to the fact that you have to take some measures. Yeah. And the nice thing about it is that we, 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 well, language is an issue, but most people speak English. Yeah. And so, and also, uh, bank practices generally are the same, you know, the, the, the rules are more or less the same. Yeah, more or less. So I think it was by having the exposure. Yeah. And you could pick the phone up anytime and speak to them or ask for help, put a set of questions together, send it out. And, you know, even if 20% responds, at least you're getting uh, a bit of international best practice without paying a cent. Yes. You know, your membership, uh, membership allows you to have all of that. Unfortunately, while I was chair when I got sick, I now no longer, I'm an honorary member, but I'm no longer a operating member. Yeah, yeah. Your contribution has been uh, immense. And you've been there. You were you were a member for a very long time. Banks, financial institutions. As You, you know, there's a lot of competition yes. in terms yes. of uh, what are the products, what are the kinds of services, new channels. Yes. But there's yes. really no competition yes. as far as uh, fraud prevention is concerned. I mean, I one has know. to really do it. Yeah. And yes. uh, I think preventing yes. frauds is it's a service to the uh, to the customer because you know you're actually protecting the customer and that's like a really very yes. big responsibility absolutely yes and i think a, a lot of banks now because of the communication that goes out from the bank itself and from this organization most often the banks would use what we have so the important thing was consistent messaging. Yes. You don't want one bank to say it in a certain way and the other one and then the public's confused. So the one thing we were very careful about was everybody mm. had to be consistent. And if a bank was running a campaign, they would always make sure that we there. So, uh, you know, it was, it was always, it yeah. was, we were able to answer questions and all of that. So it, it, it was, it's a really great model. I can't uh, tell you more of, I remember, yeah, I I met a man who was on the board of the Bank of India. And he was, when he heard about this, I, I was doing a work visit to India. And I was in Pune and I met him uh, at a meeting. And he was saying that it was such a wonderful concept, uh, you know, to get that whether it's a government bank or whether it's a private bank, you you have to share and you have to talk and you can do it at lower cost because we have come together. Yes. So I think there's lots of value in it. So uh, yeah. yeah, what yeah. you're saying yeah. in, in India, of course, there is an exchange. There is an exchange of information. Now, of course, it's like you know, uh, everybody does it 
more or less and the customers right. are identified yeah. and I'm, I'm sure when you started right. it it wasn't a thing that was heard of and was being done so you know at that uh, uh, time it was yeah. like you know something and new I think or maybe the first uh, one of the first uh, uh, countries to do it we actually didn't know of any other yeah we didn't have anyone to compare with yeah and <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think some countries people are still so scared to share their information but i think the the kind of incidents that people are seeing and the amount of monies that can get stolen yep. yes um they've and now uh, realized they just have to and also it is uh, between countries now it's like overseas so you are losing money here but the money is going to another country so you know unless everyone yes. is aware of the way frauds happen yes. i'm sure you would have uh, not directly dealt with but may have heard of it i have also dealt with with and i still do you know of customers who have lost money and it's it's really very sad yes you know and it is it is you, feel, you actually feel helpless because uh, i mean there's sometimes there's nothing that one can do there are uh, you know procedures in yeah. place for uh, dispute yes. handling and things like that but yes. you know yes. most likely yes. the fraudster is always smarter so you know the money just yes. is not there yeah yeah so the customer thinks the bank is responsible the customer thinks the bank is responsible and in the initial days uh, you know when this uh, internet banking and uh, these card frauds used to happen uh, the trust on the banks also used to get dented sometimes because the customer used to feel there's some problem yes. with the bank systems yeah of course they yes. come a long yes. way with, uh, from there but oh. uh, you know that uh, feeling yeah. and feeling of trust uh, the feeling of you yeah. know that something may go wrong any time yes yeah and especially at the time when you want to encourage people to bank rather than keep it under the mattress yes. you know you want people to bank so the important thing is that reputational damage for the banks is quite a serious thing yes. you know so with us we're trying to you know what we would do in, in here in south africa we used to um if there was an incident where more than one bank was involved and people lost money then i would go in Uh, from a fabric perspective and i would deal with it because it was an industry any bank can be uh, have clients that have been yeah. the victims of card fraud yeah. or you know those kind of things so it helped from a reputational point of view of course of course for the banks as reputation yeah. is an issue you lose yeah. money and uh, you it's it's a matter of time you lose time you're not able to push the digital uh, you know yes. initiative forward so it's 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 in all its negative yes, yeah uh, so um, kalyani your experience has been like really something different uh, than what most of us in the regular course uh, face we conclude this what is the kind of message that you would like to give to people who are managing service operations because they are the ones who deal with the customers and they are the ones who work on yes, the operations yes. piece i think the one thing that's very important is you always have to know who you're serving you you have to know who you're serving are you serving the bank or are you serving the customer so it's a fine line between the two because obviously you have, you work for the bank but you have to also understand what people go through and 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 that's very important because that affects bank's reputation if yeah. you if a person comes in and says look i had my card with me but 
uh, I lost that amount of rupees or what you know a certain amount of money, and but my card is with me, and you can't tell them well then I'm sorry because if you no. have your card only you know your pin number and only you know this and sorry we can't help you. You got you got to uh, you know understand and try and find out what is the uh, what happened. If you just turn people away, you you you're gonna damage your bank's reputation and also. Uh, you know, the bank c- customer can actually leave. And it's not that banks only want to have like top end customers. They yes. serve everybody. Everyone. You know, if the rules apply to everybody. So it's very important to take that into account and to make sure that you can balance between, you know, the bank side and the lawyer and, side uh, and consumer. Yes. <laughs> the the employer and consumer. Yeah, it, was, it was just a great opportunity to have had worked there and to be able to serve the public um, and you know people who didn't understand so. English like in India you also have different languages so yeah. you know <laughs> yes, you yes. do it in the vernacular and you help people to understand you know so it's important. When you're uh, speaking what the thought that's coming to my mind is that the the you know, the point of contact between the customer and the organization, I mean any financial organization yes. for that matter and even when you're using the best of technology, you use bot, you use, you know, WhatsApp, um, uh, you know, the chats are happening with in an automated mode, etc. But I think the uh, another important point is for that sensitivity to sense that something is going wrong. See, sometimes a customer yes. doesn't understand and he might just say that, oh, this, something has happened to me, but it's for the company and that point of contact to understand that that, yeah here maybe something is not normal something is going wrong and you know raise a flag at the right time because you can prevent like huge i think people the whole idea is for people not to accept that if a bank says they're sending you a document and you see the bank's logo you you have to be suspicious that's the most important. You have to be suspicious of everything that comes. That comes. And, you know, like like as an example, the people very often used to become victims. They receive an email from a particular bank, oh which is their God, bank. That was... So criminal, obviously, <laughs> yeah. You know, they take a chance. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and then they'd say, uh, thank you so much. I just want to let you know that your money has been paid into your account. And everybody, from a human perspective, you want to know what money was paid in my amount, and you click, click, and, and you know, so those kind of things that you always have to alert people to yeah. be careful and uh, to the points yeah. of contact to also be alert and be able to pick what's yeah. going wrong. So, yes. Kalyani, yes. it's yes. been an awesome, uh, you know, talk with you. My favorite some of my favorite topics because the last uh, you know assignment uh, the bank was fraud prevention and reputation management this really comes straight down but below you know uh, there is this customer at the base of all this and you know understanding the customer that's where you are so before we conclude one last message from you to the listeners I think mine, again, would be more on the leadership side, especially people who are wanting to build their careers. Don't feel afraid to change. You may have a degree in science, but you actually have a passion somewhere else. 
follow your passion. Don't do it recklessly. <laughs> Don't just leave your job without having another one. But I think follow your passion. I have learned that over the years. I've never been afraid to go into an environment that was new to me because it's your responsibility to make sure that you understand where you're going and what you're doing. If you have to study something again, well, then do it, you know. So I think with India, you don't have to convince anybody to study. There's just such a just uh, uptake on people, you know, so long as you can afford it, you can study. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I would just say that's the important thing. Thank you <laughs> really. so much. Thank you so much for your time, Kalyani. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Same here. Okay. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Then. Bye-bye, Satinda.